This episode is brought to you by KX Pilates Cottesloe. From beginner to advanced, their modern studio has classes to suit you and your goals. It's Left of Field with Danny Kavanagh. Hello and welcome to the Left of Field podcast. As always, my name is Danny Kavanagh and today my special guest is Paul Wade. Paul is a legend of Australian soccer and a former Socceroos captain. He has 84 international caps for his country, two World Cup qualifying campaigns, was an Olympian at the Seoul Games in 1988 and won two NSL championships. He's a media personality and motivational speaker, and I think you'll learn plenty from Paul Wade this episode. So uh, snuggle in and enjoy. Paul Wade, welcome to the Left of Field podcast. How are you going today? Oh, look, any better I'd need a twin. I heard that once and I thought that aptly describes how sometimes you feel, isn't it? You're overflowing with joy. I'm in that state right now. Tell me, Captain of the Socceroos, so much experience out there. How would you sum up your time playing professional football in Australia? Oh, you know what? I do speaking gigs all over the country. And whether I'm talking to kids who are just about to go to high school or kids who are just about to leave high school, corporates, people in jail, I always think to myself, you know what? You don't have to be the best. You just have to be your best. And I've learned that by uh, by playing football. You know what? I was probably the most uncoordinated footballer. If I think about all the quality footballers I've played at the highest level, but the only thing I brought to a football team, my strength was my work ethic. And I was so enthusiastic with every game. I was always there in every game. It's not because oh, I didn't feel like it today. There was nothing like that. And that's why Eddie Thompson said, you know what? That's the captain I want. I want somebody who's always going to be there, always going to give absolutely everything. And even if you make lots of mistakes, you make up for them. So that's why I tell people, don't aspire to be a leader. Aspire to make a difference. Great. So you were captain for six years, 1990-1996 of the Socceroos. Tell me, what was it like getting that, that gig and getting the honour of captaining your country? It was a shock. You know what? The only reason I got to captain Australia is because everybody else went overseas. And I think people uh, realised that maybe the Socceroo captain had to be here in Australia to be able to do uh, bits and pieces on the TV and the radio. That is the only reason I got the gig, honestly. Well, players used to stand next to me in photographs, so it made them look better. I mean, I had absolutely nothing going for me. And uh, we were just about to go to Asia for a tournament. And Eddie Thompson, God bless him, he's no longer with us. But he said, you know what, the captain for this particular tour, Paul Wade. And I just, what? What, me? Really? Me? I had no idea what a captain's supposed to do uh, other than toss the coin at the start of a game and wear a captain's armband. I had no idea about leadership. I'd never, I was never a captain of any football team until I captained the Socceroos. Weird, right? Yeah, it is. So obviously, like you mentioned, all your teammates were playing, you know, like in Europe and other leagues and you were playing in Australia. Was that hard being the captain then and having to deal with those big personalities, people that might think they're playing in better, different leagues than yours? Yeah, that was the 
biggest challenge when you first start off as a captain. I said, I'm realistic enough to realize I, I was so lucky that, you know, the coach at the time needed somebody to do a lot of hard work in midfield when it was, it was really appreciated. Now it's expected, but it, it was really appreciated. So when these guys came back, they were earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a week. I was earning $5,000 a season playing for South Melbourne Hellas in Melbourne. So to see these guys come back millionaires and playing in front of 50,000 people every week, you know, the only thing I had was my ability to chat with them. But more importantly, listen. I sat next to somebody different every breakfast, lunch and dinner because I knew the importance of trying to break down that money barrier or that ego barrier. And if you ask people questions, I tell you what, people love to talk about themselves, don't they? That's what I do. I love to talk about myself. We all do. So if you ask questions, you form a relationship instantly because you you care enough to ask. So that's the only thing that I uh, I could add to anybody who wants to break down differences like we had or I had. Just talk to people. Sit next to them. Don't text them. Don't phone them. Don't email them. Look them in the eye and form a relationship. What is it like to play against one of the arguably best players that's ever played soccer, Maradona? Well, you know what? When I first found out that I was marking him, my heart stopped. My blood pressure went through the roof because, uh, and this is what Eddie Thompson said to me, he said, Wadey, if, if Maradona goes to the toilet, you go with him. Now, the night before we played them, we went to a game between Marconi. We went to Marconi Stadium uh, to watch a, a state league game here in Sydney. And I could not watch it. I was just sitting there constantly thinking of all the things that might happen during the game. And sometimes you can talk yourself into very ordinary performances. So I just tried to think of all the things I knew about him. Uh, that, for me, was the biggest thing. It was learning to deal with the the stress, the pressure of expectation. That was the biggest life lesson I got out of that. There were great moments standing there going, wow, he is the greatest player ever to play the game. And I just grew up in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. It, uh, eventually, when I was standing in the tunnel before we went out there in Sydney, I just turned to him and went, happy birthday, Diego. Because it was his birthday. You should have seen the look on his face. And he's thinking, you're taking the mickey out of me. You've got to be taking the mickey out of me. But I didn't know what to say. And gee, he was, he was the greatest ever. There were no news bulletins without Diego Maradona being on the TV and the radio. He was on every media outlet every single day, multiple times. And here's little old me having to follow him around for 90 minutes. And every time he does something special, everybody will think, wait, he should have stopped that. Yeah, a lot of pressure, a lot of, but I still can't believe that I was given the uh, the honour of doing it. Were you surprised by anything he did out there on the pitch? Yeah, the Maradona turn. He did it. Kids do it all over the world. They do this Maradona turn. And I think he did it because I didn't see him after that. He just got the ball and went, boom, gone. I think him. Wow, imagine if I played against the Maradona of 86. I was marking the Maradona of 93 who'd just come back from a drug suspension. In 86, he just tore teams apart on his own. So 
for me, just that his speed off the mark, you know, he he got to 100 kilometres an hour in, I don't know, a second. He just took off. If I didn't get to the ball before he got there, don't go diving in because he'll just skin you and make you look stupid. So it was a real balancing act, but the speed off the mark was incredible. Yeah, I don't know how you'd even prepare to match up against someone like that. It'd really yeah. freak me out. Did you get his shirt in the end? Have you got one of his shirts? Yeah, you know what? I was not leaving that tunnel. When we went back up the tunnel and they went into their dressing room and we went into ours, I stayed outside. I said, I am not going uh, anywhere unless I get his shirt. Anyway, one of the officials went in, got it, brought it out. And thank you very, very much indeed. But yeah, when I'd been holding on to it uh, over the two games, 180 minutes, if I wasn't going to get it, I was going to be very disappointed. But yeah, some very fond memories. Speaking of shirts, you wore number six and it became your number. Was there a reason that you chose that number? You know, I think it just becomes habit after a while. <laughs> and I, and I, it's not as if I went, oh, I'm number six. Like, like some uh, egotistical uh, strikers say, no, 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 I'm number 10 or I'm number nine. Because you, if you go anywhere in the world, the first thing the kids say when you get off the flight is, who's your number nine? Who's your number 10? They don't care about number six or three or two. They want to know who nine and 10 is because they're the heroes. So I, I didn't plan to have six. It's just seemed that it, it came out and everybody went, well, you know what? You're playing in the middle of the park. That's where usually the number six is. There you go. And after a while, people just go, yep, all right, you're number six. Looking at the game of football as a whole and how it was then versus now, how have you seen the game growing in Australia? Well, they're more professional now, obviously. They actually earn a living at it and they, you know, some of the things that I see, well, maybe they shouldn't earn a living, but for the most part, they are more entertaining, skillful. You know, when when I played in, in the 80s and 90s, this was all about playing for fans who'd, for the most part, had just come out from their home country. So I played for South Melbourne Hellas, who were Greek. I played for Brunswick Juventus, who were uh, Italian. I played for Green Gully Ajax, who were Maltese. You played for their country because that's where their clubs were born, you know. So as long as you looked as if you were trying for their club, they loved you. But now, you know, I mean, if we won, we all went out and we had a couple of beers. And we didn't do stupid things, but we were going to celebrate because we'd worked hard training three nights a week. That was a lot when you've got a job for 40 hours a week. Uh, to train three nights a week and sacrifice your weekend to play. But now, well, I, I, I don't envy what these guys in Australia have to do because if they get the flick from the coach, they've either got to go interstate or overseas or, or find a job. We always had a job to go to on Monday morning. So the pressure of uh, expectation, you put it on yourself. It wasn't put on your family like they are today. So from that point of view, they are far more equipped, if you like, for for everything that's thrown at them because they have to be. Wow, I reckon there would have been some players in the old NSL that would wipe the floor with some of these A-league players, even if they were part-time. And who would you then say has been one of Australia's greatest players? You know, you've, we talk about Maradona internationally, but who would you say would be yeah. Australia's? Probably a, a bloke that you might not have heard of, in fact, 
I reckon 95% of people uh, wouldn't heard of. The diehards, the people who went every week, they would, and they would respect him as much as I did. But a guy called Paul Tromboli, who uh, played for Hellas, played for Sunshine George Cross. Wow. His first touch of the ball when he received it was immaculate to the point where his second touch was so easy. He just made playing football so enjoyable to watch. His vision being able to look one way and play the pass the other way, inch perfect. You know, you just think, wow. He's not quick as far as his feet go, but his mind was so much quicker than anybody else's. And he should have played a hundred times for the Socceroos. And I don't know why he didn't, but as I say, I was so lucky as a Socceroo over 10 years. He was just as unlucky over 10 years. KX Pilates in Cottesloe has officially opened. And if you're a big Pilates fan like me, this would be music to your ears. Now, KX Pilates has been around for a while and the team at Cottesloe is ready to help you experience a revolutionary, fast-paced, high-intensity body toning workout in just 50 minutes. Their motto, workout smarter, not longer. Now, I've tried the classes here. They have some really great teachers who really give you quite the workout and you were left a big sweaty mess. They have brand new beds there that I actually haven't seen in any other studio and they're really cool. So if you want to give KX a go, why not use the code LEFTERFIELD and become part of the KX family? I promise you, you won't regret it. It is amazing workout for all levels, whether you have never tried Pilates before or you are a bit of a Pilates freak. I hope to see you in some classes soon. What's your soon? involvement with football today in Australia? I am an ambassador for walking football. How about that? I earned a living touching every blade of grass on the ground. And here I am, an ambassador for walking football. That's all I've got left in the tank now. That national level, I go around schools and clubs talking to kids using my health experiences and my football because I've had part of my brain removed. I just use football and health to connect with kids who are disengaged, at risk, refugees. So I use football in everything that I do. I'm very lucky in that area. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't coach water out of a tap. Let's be honest. I have no idea how to solve a problem. I just worked hard, solved the problems around me, ordered a few people around. But nah, I uh, I can't handle the, that, that pressure. I, I looked after myself on the field and the people around me, but I didn't rely on them. If you... You say you can't coach, but you do have a lot of experience behind you. And if you were to look at the game of football in Australia right now, what do you think needs to happen to bring the game to the next level, to take Australia from a middle-of-the-road team to one of the elite? Yeah. You know what? I'll be honest with you. And we're never going to win the World Cup. And I'd like to see anybody argue with me. Oh, we've come a long way, but we're never going to win the World Cup. When you think of how many teams have actually won it and how many great players and great countries have played in it since day dot, let's be realistic. We're not going to do that. Look, if we qualify for the World Cup, that's our World Cup victory. If we qualify and we get to the second round, wow, we should keep the World Cup. You know, let's be realistic about this. So don't get caught up in all this, oh, we're no good and uh, we're substandard and all that. No, no, no. 
we're never going to be the best. We are a breeding ground, a very entertaining breeding ground for players to go and earn a squillion dollars overseas. And when they come back, teams that have to play against the Socceroos are going to have to be their best to beat us. As long as we can appreciate that, not take our foot off the pedal, but just make sure that we're realistic about everything that we're doing. And, and, and the fact that, you know what I love? The fact that we're going to have eventually, hopefully in the uh, short term, it's going to happen really quick, is promotion relegation from the A-League. That is one way to get every to, everyone to pull their finger out and invest in the right areas and work harder as a as a team. Not take anything for granted. Oh, we got the wooden spoon, but it's okay. We've all get, always got next year. No, you haven't got next year because you're going to get relegated and somebody else is going to come up. It's uh, love competition. Fear can be a motivator. And if fear motivates people to pull their finger out and invest in their footballers and the players to invest more and more time in making it right, then the better for the game. Looking at the Socceroos and their style of play over the last few years, they've taken a more attacking approach. Do you think that's the right avenue for us to travel down? Yeah, got to. I loved, I played with Ange Postacoglu at South Melbourne Hellas and he was always, as a fullback, he was always getting forward. In fact, sometimes I thought, Ange, do you know how to spell the word defend? Because you certainly, every time you get the ball, you're going forward, whether it be with the ball or to get the ball. And that is reflected in his attitude towards football. The number of times that the media had a go at him, you can't play three at the back, you can't play eight up front. He is convinced that the style of football and the tactics he uses entertains himself, the players and the fans. And I think you are so lucky, Celtic, to have Ange Postacoglu and his attitude to the game and to entertainment. And I think if everyone was brave enough to do what Anz does on the park, uh, the game would be far better for it. You know, and, and I under, I can appreciate what coaches have to go through because if they lose three games in a row, they usually get sacked. But Anz believes in it, and he brings in the right players and convinces them the right things. And look how successful he's been. Yeah, it's more exciting as a fan to watch. That's for sure. You touched on it before, your health. You suffer from epilepsy and you did your career and it came out to the public in a Channel 7 interview. Tell me, how was it playing with that? And tell me about your health journey. I was having uh, seizures all my life, but I didn't know that's what they were. I was just feeling these horrible experiences that only lasted a short time, but I just dealt with it. Because you know what? We grew up in an era, and anyone who's listening would, would appreciate, never let them know you're hurt. Because as soon as people know you're hurt, they'll take advantage of you. Now, I'm talking on the park, right? And there's none of that rolling around. Back in the day, if you'd have rolled around like they do today, I'd tell you what, your own players would have kicked you out. So it was always this, you know, if you've got blood pouring out of your uh, of your jaw or the, your cut eye, get it stitched up at half time. Well, you've got 15 minutes to stitch it at halftime and then come back after halftime and play the rest of the game. So it was that sort of mentality that allowed me to hide all those, what I now know as seizures. And uh, yeah, just lived with it. And then I got caught, as you quite rightly said, on Channel 7. I knew by that stage that I had epilepsy because I'd had a seizure right in front of a physiotherapist with the Socceroos. 
And so I knew, but nobody else did. And then I got caught on Channel 7. And you know what? It was having hidden this for years and years and years, uh, from that moment that I found out I had epilepsy to when I got caught on the TV, it wasn't until that moment that I, I felt so much relief that everybody else knew that I had a disorder or now what's uh, it's now known as a disease that I couldn't control. And people had so much empathy. It's like, wait, I'll pick you up. And we'll go to the shops or, you know, I'll take you to a game because you can't drive. As soon as there's no, uh, as soon as you've got epilepsy, that's it. Give us your license. So, yeah, I, it, it was very, very difficult. Uh, as I say, I hit it for a long time. But as soon as people found out about it, I wasn't as embarrassed anymore. And now I use those uh, experiences, as horrible as they were, to try and, well, motivate, if you like, or inspire people to go, you know what? Geez, it's tough. But with a little bit of help, with a little bit of experience or knowledge about what you're experiencing, then bingo, it's amazing what you can do. Yeah, well, you were playing, you know, for your country as you as you had it this whole time. So I think you're, you know, definitely proof that you can do anything and you do do a lot of work now in that in that space and educating and helping people. How do you see young athletes today? Does, are there many that are suffering with this? Yeah, as I mentioned before, that level of expectation, I think the fans haven't changed much. They still want to be entertained and they won't turn up if they're not entertained or their team's losing. So nothing's changed in that area. But I think the consequences of every game and every season are more impactful than it ever was before. Because as I said, we had a job to go to on Monday morning. So we could take our foot off the pedal, enjoy our victory or get disappointed about our loss and look forward to next week with this lot you got that warm down, you've got a recovery day, you've got press conferences, you've got uh, sports psychologists, you've got GPSs on their back. It's a job now. I'm glad I played when I played, when it, you just did what you did and loved it. And I don't know, it, it's, um, it's tough for players today. It, it really is. And I, I'm very privileged to be able to use all my football experiences and translate them into uh, people's lives now. Very lucky. So I like to ask everyone a motto that they like to live life by. What are some words of wisdom you can leave us with today? <gasps> Actually, I might have used one um, earlier. You have Don't said quite a few, by the way. You have been very, yeah, yeah. You've said some very nice, <laughs> very inspiring things throughout the episode. Oh. Don't get me wrong. How would you sum yep. up your view of life? Wow, there are so many. I think the the key is, because not everybody wants to be a leader, so the comment about don't just aspire to be a leader, aspire to make a difference, the one that I'll always back, no matter what area of life you come from, is don't aspire to be the best. Just aspire to be your best. And only you will know what your best is. You know your conscience will tell you when you're cheating. And if you cheat, you'll get caught eventually. You just have to be your best. Remember, we're all born as little kids. We've all just been very, very uh, different pathways to where we are right now, but we're all born small in the same way. 
just be your best. Very nice. I love that. Well, thank you, Paul, for giving up your time and chatting to me today. Great to hear your story. No, it's a pleasure talking to you. See ya. Just want to say a big thank you to Paul for giving up his time and having a chat to me today. And thank you, my listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the Left of Field podcast. I appreciate all your support. And like always, please like, subscribe, follow, download, do all of those things and chat to me. Let me know who you want me to talk to next. I'm trying to change it up a bit. So uh, I'm all ears. Have a great week and I'll be back again next week. Goodbye.